Have you had a good week? Yes? yes. I've had a pretty good week. Didn't get injured this week at work, which was good. Last week was bad. But the thing I enjoyed most this week was preparing for today. Um, it, it, I, I, like, I like preaching. I do. I do like it. It doesn't come easy. It requires a bit of effort for me, all right? And I get a bit anxious when I'm up here, believe it or not. But one of the hardest things uh, in preparing a message is finding the opening, you know, the pithy opening, the thing that will catch your people's attention. And so I've been praying about that this week because I, had, I, you know, I want to start in a certain way and I couldn't find, I couldn't work it out. Nothing would come. Nothing would come. So anyway, I'm working away, and when I'm working away, there's nobody at home usually. So the radio's on, you know, 3AW and all the rest of it. And it's been an interesting week, you know. Uh, how's your super going? Anyone here got three million plus in their super? No? Okay. I don't know about that. Anyway, I was thinking about the opening and praying about it. God would give me something, you know, and I got a gift from God. And it's not working for me, Andrew. Sorry. I'm, I'm just pressing it. I got this. Look. This is great. This is not a political comment, all right? But this is just perfect for me because I want to talk to you about promises. Even though the topic today is the church is born, I want to start off by showing you and talking about three promises that Jesus Christ gave when he was here on the earth. Three promises. And we see those promises being kept or fulfilled in this passage that we're looking at this morning. What's a promise? What is a promise? No? So the dictionary definition is it's a declaration that something will or will not be done or given. Right? That's a promise. Something that will or will not be done or given. For example, uh, that one of those men did promise that they wouldn't do anything to our super funds, not make any changes, not on the cards. The second definition is an express assurance on which expectation is to be based. That same person mentioned that... uh, you, 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 you can bank on this. We will be making no major changes to superannuation. And Koshi, Koshi, it doesn't matter whether you've got three million or not. It, it makes no difference whether it's only a 0.5% of the population of Australia are affected by it. Koshi made the point. You've broken two promises. You've broken Two promises, and it's and it's difficult, isn't it, when people break a promise to you? When people make a promise, 
and it's broken, no matter what it is, it's difficult, hard to handle. So the first promise I'd like to... Uh, it's still not working for me, Andrew. Oh, here we go. Oh, is that it? The first promise is found in, in Matthew chapter 16. And the Lord Jesus made this promise. He said, I will build my church. Very straightforward. I will build my church. The second promise, thank you, is found in, in John chapter 14. He says there, I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor or comforter or helper, depending on which Bible version you have, to be with you forever. And in chapter 16 of the same book, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. So that's the second promise that Jesus made. I'm going to press this again. Thank you. And the third promise is found in Acts chapter 1. Now these are promises the Lord actually made himself. In my Bible it's written in red. He said in verse 8 of chapter 1, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. On the day of Pentecost that we've just read about, it's found in chapter 2 of Acts, these three promises came to be. They were fulfilled. They were fulfilled. The next slide... So there, there it is, the day of Pentecost. Now my brief this morning is not to uh, talk too much about the day of Pentecost, but to talk about the, the church being born. But very, very quickly, all right? Pentecost is 50 days after the Passover. It's part of the Jewish feast time. And Pentecost is actually known as the Feast of Weeks. One of the three big major festivals on the Jewish calendar, the really big ones. You know, they had a lot of feasts and special days, but this was one of the three big ones. There was Passover and then there was this one. And that explains why there was the crowd in Jerusalem at the time. Big event, big event. It's interesting too that that. The ascension of Jesus Christ was 40 days after the resurrection and then the Lord said, you need to wait here in Jerusalem, right, to the disciples. Wait here in Jerusalem and then I'll send the Spirit. Until the Spirit comes, I want you to wait. We'll have to wait 10 days because Pentecost means 50. So 10 days later... The Spirit came. Now it's interesting. We read a, a portion of, math, of Mark there. It's interesting that Pentecost falls on the first day of the week. It's also interesting that the Lord, as we read this morning, was also raised on the first day of the week. 
And Sundays, the first day of the week, when you go home and have a look at the calendar, you know, Sundays at the start of the, of the week, yeah, first day of the week, is a very special day to Christians. Always has been. The Lord, like the Lord's death, Pentecost is a one-off. There's no more offering for sin. There's no need to crucify Jesus again. It was a one-off. And a great work was done on that event. And so was, so with Pentecost. This event is a one-off. Never to be repeated again. I'm glad Kat's not here because did you know, did you notice that that last hymn that we sang? That's, that's theologically incorrect, you know. It really is, isn't it, Graham? It's theologically incorrect. A one-off event, the coming of the Holy Spirit. So, the first promise, the church being born, was accomplished at Pentecost. Now, you know this, I'm just going to mention it anyway. The church never existed before then. It never existed before then. Not in the Old Testament. The church was not in the Old Testament. You can look at all those, through all those books. It's not in there. It may be hinted at by one or two prophets, but the church was not there. You can read through the four gospels and you, what you'll discover is the church is not there either. It's not there. It's mentioned. Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, but the church itself was not there. It wasn't even at any stage while Christ, while Jesus Christ was here on earth, while he was here, while he mentioned that he was going to build his church, it wasn't even there then while the Lord was here. The church was born at Pentecost. The church started at Pentecost. And it started in a two-part process. This first bit is what we're going to be looking at for the next 10, 10 chapters. Not today. It's a Jewish part. And then from chapter 10 and 11 in the book of Acts, you'll read the, the second part of this birth. And that's for the Gentiles. Very unique. Very clear in the scriptures. In John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus himself said this. Listen to this. This is why this is where it happened. He says, but I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. It is for your own good. And you think about this, right? It is for your own good, Jesus said, that I go away. How could that be? How could that be? And that's what the, that's what the disciples were thinking. How could it be a good thing for the Lord to go away? But that's what he said. Unless I go away, the Counselor or the Holy Spirit will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. 
fulfillment of the promise of Pentecost. The Lord left, didn't he? He ascended. 40 days after the resurrection that we read about and remembered this morning, he ascended. And then 10 days later, this happened. The promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit by Jesus Christ was fulfilled. It happened. So what you and I enjoy today, the church, was in the mind and in the heart of God all the time. It really was, all the time. When did it start? When when was it born? Well, Well, birth, birth, it means coming into an existence. It means an origin. It means a beginning. So the birth of the church, of Jesus Christ, began, originated at Pentecost, this event that we're reading of. Now, I'm glad my wife's not here. I can attest to this. Births are very noisy, Elizabeth. Very noisy events. I can remember, hope she doesn't watch this on, uh, on YouTube later. I can remember going to the, uh, the Essendon uh, uh, Maternity Hospital, taking Pauline there for our second, second daughter's birth. It's, that's Kim. And it was late at night. <laughs> and the, the, the charge nurse from who were ringing, you know, contractions are X amount of minutes. Oh no, you got plenty of time, got plenty of time. Anyway, the contractions got shorter and shorter. You better come in. So we rushed and just made it. Just made it. Anyway, they took us up to the delivery seat. It was really late at night. It was really quiet. And there was nobody around, you know. So anyway, yeah, it was noisy. And I remember, I remember my wife saying, you know, she's a little bit, a little bit distressed, of course, you know. She said, oh, can you hear somebody shouting, Ralph? Can you hear somebody screaming? She said, oh, yes, I can hear that. Who is that? Who is that woman? It's you. <laughs> the hospital was dead silent. It was in the middle of the night. Really quiet. And it, Anyway, births are very noisy. They are. And there's shouting, there's yelling, screaming. There's a lot of blowing and breathing. There's crying, and then a miracle happens, isn't it? A birth. And what we read this morning in Acts chapter 2 is very similar. There was a sound of a blowing wind, a violent wind. There were tongues of fire. There were heaps of talking in different languages. There was bewilderment. And then a miracle happened. Brothers and sisters, this is a miraculous event. A miracle happened. The church was born. And that's why this is a unique event. This is why it's recorded. The giving or the coming of the Holy Spirit was not, was not just a spark, but it was, it was the life, the life of the church. And the, and Jesus Christ says in chapter 1 verse 8, it was the power that was to come. The power of the church. The Holy Spirit. Now, I haven't got time. I was going to read it, but we haven't got time. 
in chapters 14 and 16 of John, we learn so much from Jesus, from the Lord Jesus, what the Spirit is, who he is, what he's going to do. I'm just going to give you a a little little, uh, uh, highlight, just a few dot points. The Holy Spirit comes in Jesus Christ's name, not in his own name. He's not here to blow his own trumpet. All right? He comes in the name of Christ. He comes to teach all things. So if you learn anything this morning, it's not from me, it's from the Holy Spirit. That's his job, to teach you the things of Christ. He's here to remind us of the things we've already learned, perhaps, or heard before, bringing things back to our remembrance. Hey, I'm glad about that because I tend to forget a lot. It's really good that the Holy Spirit's job is that. He's come here to comfort, as a comforter. So, So we don't, like Chin said, feel alone. We always have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in us. No matter where we are, no matter what we're going through, the Spirit is right there. He couldn't be any closer. The Spirit comes to convict the world of sin and of guilt. That's not my job. My job is not to tell the world it's evil or it's, or it's sinful. That's the Spirit's job. He's there. He's come to convict the world of righteousness and of judgment. He comes to guide believers, to guide us, to, to show us the way. He doesn't come to speak of himself. It says in chapter 16, he only comes to, he only speaks about the things he has already heard from the Father. So he's echoing the things of God to us. And he come, he's come to tell us what is to come and to bring glory to me, Jesus said. So they're just some of the roles that he does. That's all in just those two chapters. In other places in the the Bible, we read that the Spirit comes and gives us gifts, spiritual gifts. He comes to dwell in the believer in 1 Corinthians. He's a seal or the guarantee of God of eternal life for you and me. He's an intercessor. He sanctifies us. He's the guarantee of God and very important, very important to the world at the moment. He's a restrainer of evil. You think the world is bad? Just wait till that restrainer is taken away. Just wait till the Holy Spirit is taken away from earth at the rapture and see what happens. Could I have the next slide, please, Andrew? However, this morning, I'd like to address the term or the title that Jesus gives to this event. I'll refer you back to chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power. You will receive power, is what Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know, the church today is made up of people, people like me and you, weak people, rebellious you know, unreliable, selfish, imperfect people. That's what the church is made up of. 
And we're tasked, we're tasked by Jesus to transform the world. <laughs> Unbelievable. I, don't, I, I, I often think about it. Why did, the, why did God do it like this? Why did God have this plan? But this is the plan of God. To transform the world. It's our task to be the instruments, the vessels that turn people back to God. We're part of the process. It's, it's, it's our job to, to help mankind to, to live in accordance to the, to the maker's mind. How, how God intended us to live. We're to be examples of that. And, and it's our job. It's our job to bring the kingdom of God to earth. The church. That's the church's job. That's why we're here. And there's no way you and I, the church, can do all of any of this in our own strength. None whatsoever. As, as eloquent as speakers can be and as brilliant as theologians we can have and as catchy little programs we can create, we, we can't do it. We won't be able to do it in our own strength. The abilities and resources that we might have, no matter how big they are, will not be able to accomplish this in our own strength. You know, the disciples that we read about in Acts 2, they didn't have nice buildings with beautiful aircon pumping away. I really appreciate aircon when I'm speaking. It's, it's really hot up here. And, and they didn't have the money. Stuart prayed for the, the offering and, and they didn't have that reason. You'll see that in the next few weeks as we go through it. They didn't have the money that we have. They didn't have the political influence, the social status or the political appeal and yet somehow, which I'll be talking to you about next week, unfortunately you have to come back and hear more from me, at the end, at the end of this chapter, chapter two, three thousand people were saved and added to the church. Three thousand, and in a couple of chapters further on, another two thousand. You know, Peter stands up, says a few things. Two thousand people get saved. How does that happen? How does that happen? How is it possible? Well, we've got, we've got the answer to this, or a clue in verse 4. Have a look. Hope you still got your Bible open. Here it says, it says in verse 4, it says, All of them, all of the disciples, not just Peter or John, but all of the disciples, 120 of them, were all, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Enabled them. What does enable mean? It means to be able. It means, it actually, this, this actually is in the dictionary. It means to give power. That's what it says in the dictionary. Can you believe that? That's what it says in the Bible. It says to be able, to give power. It says in the dictionary, to make possible. Have you got it now? The Holy Spirit, the power came 
on all of them and enabled them, made it possible to do those things that God intended. It also means to provide the means. So what happened at Pentecost? The Spirit came, the power of God came and indwelt the disciples and he gave them, the Spirit gave them the power to do what they did. The Spirit made it possible for them to do what they did and the Spirit provided the means for them to do what they were able to do. That's why 3,000 people were saved. Birth, life, power, enabled. The spirit tasks, the spirit's task is to enable you and me to provide the power, the means by which you and I can witness to hand out Gospels of John, to have conversations, to grow, to glorify God. That's the Spirit's job. Now, I haven't covered a lot of things, I know that. I'm going to touch on a few things again about this next week. But my brief is not to talk to you about the Holy Spirit or whether those languages were actually languages or tongues or not. Because that's not important at the moment. What is important is the application of Pentecost to you and me this morning. So what's the application? Really quickly. Two things I love. I love object lessons. I really do. They bring home the truth of scripture in a vivid and visual way. And I love the way Paul, Paul Ryder does that. I've always loved object lessons. So I'm going to give you one this morning. It's taken me a while to think about this. Just give me a minute. All right. The leaf blower. The leaf blower. What is the object of the leaf blower? Blow leaves, to blow leaves away. I know this man over here, Peter, he loves his leaf blower. It's not like this one, is it, Peter? But he loves it. I've seen him use it. It blows leaves and stuff away. Now, I didn't bring any leaves because that would freak out the deacons, right? So this is pretend, these are pretend leaves, right? Now, if if there was a bunch of leaves there and, and I wanted to blow them away, This is what you would use, Graham, yes? Absolutely. So let's try it. It's not working, is it? What if I blow? It's not, why is it not working? There's no power. No power. Yeah, I want to point out that not, that every object lesson falls short every now and again, you know, it doesn't do everything exactly as you have it as you would like it to work. But here is the power that I need to blow the leaves, okay? So here we go. It's not working, Josh. It's charged. It's charged. It's, it's been charged. 
All right. So we've got a problem here, right? Haven't we? What's wrong? You see, this is not meant to blow up the leaves. This is meant to blow the leaves. But this can't blow the leaves without this. All right. So you put this here. All right. Now, now, now we've got the leaf blower with power, Graham. Watch. Fantastic. What's the application? What is the application? What is my objective? What is the church's objective? It's to witness and glorify God. So we're more or less like the leaf blower, you see. We're like the leaf blower. For some unexplained reason, I'm going to ask God about this when I get to heaven. For some reason, he has decided that he would bring about the message of salvation through people like you and me. It's our job to tell people about Christ, about salvation, to warn them of what's to come if they continue to rebel and reject God. I don't know why God decided to do it like that. But that's what he's, that's what he's done. So we're the leaf blower. Now we can't do that. We cannot tell people and, and, and encourage people to trust, trust Jesus, to, to rely on the salvation of Calvary in our own strength. We are the means by which God wants that message to be conveyed. Just like the disciples were. But we can't do it in our own strength. We need the power. We need the power. The power is the Holy Spirit, brothers and sisters. And, and this is a great analogy. This, you see, the Spirit is indwelling. We have that power constantly. It's always there, night and day, until you die. And it comes when a person trusts Jesus Christ. That's the thing that happens. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you. And with the Spirit indwelling, we have the power and the ability to do God's will. My question this morning is, Desi, why? Why are we so ineffective? Because we are. I look out there, lots of empty seats. Do you know that in the West, not, not, not Footscray, but in Western society, the church is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. It is growing in other places, but in the West, why? Why are we ineffective? We have, we have the same job. We have the power in us. Why are we so ineffective? I'll show you something about this leaf blower. See this little, little knot to here? Oh, yes, Sam's impressed, eh? Sam's impressed. Brothers and sisters, 
this, this analogy is probably not very good, but we operate at a very low setting as Christians. The power's there. We just don't access it. We don't allow the Spirit to control us. We don't surrender to the Spirit. And that's why we're not ineffective. I'll just show you something else about this leaf blower. This is a great leaf blower. All right, watching. It's got turbo boost. Now, that's a different subject altogether. That's the filling of the Holy Spirit. Man, I'm telling you, this is why we're not, we're not effective. Unless, unless we become like the disciples at Pentecost, allowing the Spirit to control us, to fill us, unless we surrender to that power, we will continue to be ineffective or have little effect. The power is immense. It's the power of God that's dwelling in us. My challenge to you this morning is I want you to go home. You to think about what you've heard. Have another look at it in Second Acts, in Acts chapter 2, sorry. And ask yourself, at what setting am I operating on? Are you on the low setting? Is that all the power that you're accessing? Or are you on max and occasionally go turbo? That would be great, wouldn't it? Brothers and sisters, if we did that, we would be much more effective. May the Lord bless.